0: Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make him known.
1: The Old Testament lesson for today is from 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 through 14. This can be found on page 362 of your Pew Bible. In today's reading, we see the power of God displayed in the transition of prophetic ministry from Elijah to his protege, Elisha. Understanding the need for God's anointing, Elisha requests and receives a double portion of the Spirit to equip him for the work to come. A reading from 2 Kings chapter 2 beginning with the first verse. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Fifty men of the sons of prophets also went "'and stood at some distance from them "'as they both were standing by the Jordan. "'Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up "'and struck the water, "'and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, "'till the two of them could go over on dry ground. "'When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, "'Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. "'And Elisha said, "'Please,' Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elisha went up by whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah?' And when he struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word.
0: Ten days ago, I noticed something happening throughout my day as I was going to various meetings and having pastoral visits with people. One by one throughout the day, I saw people make the same discovery, they would pull out their phone and look at it or see the news on in some television screen in the corner. And one by one, people would say, oh, the Queen of England died. That was 10 days ago, September 8. I noticed how this captured the attention of everybody that I interacted with that day. In fact, I think it captured the attention of most of planet Earth. It's an amazing thing. One person dies in one country and billions of people pay attention. Why? Well, we tend to pay attention when there's leadership transition taking place. We're curious about how it will go. When it goes well, it brings peace to people. When it doesn't go well, it brings chaos. What makes it go well? Well, in this case, in the queen's death and the king's ascension to the throne, it seems to be going well. It seems to be going smoothly because all parties are submitting to the higher power called the monarchy. And when leaders submit to a higher power, things go well. But when they make it all about themselves and they make it all about personalities, things get ugly. We're going to see in today's scripture, there's a leadership transition. The prophet Elijah dies and his protege, his soon-to-be successor... Rises to power and influence in the kingdom of God. And it goes well, too, because it depends upon submission to the power of God. But Elisha, the young new leader, has to learn that lesson. We've come to this point in our three-year chronological study of the Bible, if you're just tuning in. We are covering the whole Bible in three years, as we do uh, on a cycle here at Stanwish Church, and we're kind of trudging through these Old Testament narratives of First and Second Kings at this point. And we noticed something in the sermon planning that there was a ton of transitions happening through these chapters, from kings to the next king, now these prophets. So we're calling it God in the transition. And I believe that as we look at today's story, God has something for all of us, whether or not we're going through a season of transition, whether, we're, whether or not we're in leadership, transitioning to another leader, the lesson is the same. And that is submission to the power of God instead of focusing on personalities. Let's look at this story together to find out this lesson that Elisha has to learn that I think is applicable to all of us, beginning with verse 1. This is 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind... Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elisha, the young prophet in training with the older Elijah. The word has been delivered somehow, at least to Elijah, that he's about to die. He's about to be taken up into heaven. So he gives Elisha this last lesson as his mentor. Verse 2, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. I think what's happening here is Elijah is beginning to understand that Elisha is going to have to go on without him at some point. And so he's beginning to give him some separation. Okay, Elisha, you stay here. I'm going to go on because this thing's about to happen to me. But Elisha, still connected chiefly to the personality of Elijah, says, no, I'm going where you're going. You see, he's still very connected to Elijah, which is good. Loyalty is a good thing, but Elijah has a deeper lesson for Elisha. Not loyalty to a personality, but dependence upon the power of God that will be consistent through this transition. Verse 3. The sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. Remember on the playground when somebody would come up to you and say something, you didn't want to hear it, you just go, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. I think that's what Elisha's doing here. He's saying, I know. I don't want to hear about it. And I think the scripture writer is really showing us this connection to Elijah, his leader. It's understandable. He had meant so much to him. He doesn't even want to think about the fact that there's about to be a transition. He's about to lose his leader. Years ago, I was running a student ministry in New York City. The ministry is called Focus. There's a region of it here as well that helps reach students in independent schools and their families with the gospel. And I was running the New York City region. And I had to learn a lesson kind of similar to what Elisha's learning in today's story. I had about 50 students in the ministry, And I wanted it to grow to more than 50 students, but I couldn't couldn't figure out how. And I was really connected with all of those 50 students. I was doing a lot of discipleship in their lives, a lot of meeting with them. And um, I was meeting with a a colleague of mine, and I said, "How, how can we get this thing to grow? And she said, I think I know the problem with your ministry. She said, Nathan, you are treating your ministry a little bit right now like a power strip. For those of you listening on podcast, I'm holding up a literal power strip right now. You can't see it. Uh, She said, your ministry is like a power strip. You are plugged into the source. You know God. You love God. You're studying God. But all of the students in your ministry, well, they're plugged into you like these outlets on a power strip. And she said, the problem with that model, of course, is that there's only a certain number of outlets on a power strip. And there's only a certain capacity, Nathan, in your work week to meet with apparently 50 students. That's your capacity. So this really stuck with me, and I really remembered it. And at that moment in my ministry, I changed the way I ran the whole ministry, really trying to get kids connected, not to me, but to the very source of power, to the blazing sun in the center of the solar system, Jesus Christ. And They began framing and building the whole ministry around that, and the ministry grew. To the point where when I left that ministry and I was called to come here to be a pastor at Stanwich Church, I was so happy to see so many students just carry on with their faith, even though I had left. I had to work hard at making the ministry not about me, but about Jesus. So you might be thinking, how do you then tap into that power? Maybe you've been connected to a personality. Maybe you don't know that the power of God is accessible to you yourself. How do you tap into it? Well, this is the next part of the lesson that Elijah has for Elisha. I'm going to skip the repetitive parts of the story where he keeps trying to go to the next town and leave Elisha behind. That repeats a couple of times. We're going to pick up the story in verse 7. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Elijah has brought Elisha to the Jordan River for an important lesson. Verse 8, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over it on dry ground. If you've been following with us in this three-year chronological study of the Bible, this should sound familiar. First, Moses led the people out of Egypt and they came to the Red Sea. And he held up his staff, and the Red Sea parted its waters and they walked across on dry ground. And then they went all the way through the 40 years in the wilderness. And Joshua came to the same Jordan River that they're at now. And he got to see a similar miracle where he stood at the edge of the Jordan and the water stopped and all the people walked across. On dry ground, And now Elijah, right when he's about to be ascended into heaven, he's about to die. He's about to uh, um, leave and leave Elisha to lead in his place. He brings him to the same Jordan River and he takes off his cloak and he strikes the water with it and the water stops and these two men now walk across on dry ground. Why is Elijah taking Elisha to this spot to show him this? Well, I think it could be as simple as this. No human being is strong enough in their own capacity to stop a moving river. I mean, Perry, you look pretty strong. Don, you look pretty tough, but could you stop a a moving river? No. Maybe Pastor David could, but... uh. (laughs) Only something beyond human capacity, the power of God, is needed for this miracle to take place. So Elijah is giving Elisha a lesson and God is showing all of us through the scriptures there are some challenges that we face that are beyond our own capacity. And if we're depending on ourselves and if we're depending on other people, uh, personalities to lead us, we're not looking in the right place. We need this beyond power. We need the power of God. And so they cross the river on dry ground because the power of God is available and Elijah accesses it and they walk across. Only God could do such a thing. In verse 11, things start getting really interesting. As they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. How cool is that? I remember when I was a kid in Sunday school learning about this, I thought it was just the coolest thing. I thought about it for years. I still think it's really cool. What's happening here? Heaven itself is opening up a portal between heaven and earth, and heaven reaches down to take one of its saints into heaven with it. And this is Elijah, this is the man. who Remember last Sunday, this is the very same prophet who was feeling so sorry for himself under that broom tree because he had made his ministry all about himself. But do you remember who visited him under that broom tree? Well, it was an ambassador from heaven. It was an angel to take him from that place of self-absorption and to fix his eyes on that greater power, the power of God, the kingdom of heaven. And it seems obvious to me now reading this next part of the story that Elijah began doing business not just with the stuff of this world but with that greater power, with the power of God, with angels. He was doing business with angels. He was doing business with the Holy Spirit. He had learned the lesson under the broom tree and now he was focused not on himself or on personalities but on the power of God. In so much of a way that when it came time for him to go into glory, heaven itself was right there scooped him up, and took him to eternity. I can't imagine what Elisha was feeling as he witnessed this amazing scene. We don't have to imagine too much because we get an insight by the way he responds in verse 12. Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. My father, my father. Elisha was so connected to his mentor, Elijah, that when he left, it was appropriate for him to grieve. It's why he tore his clothes. It's an ancient world way of showing that you're grieving to tear your clothes. Even though Elisha is beginning to get the lesson uh, of being connected with God, he still grieves when his leader, this personality he was connected to, departs. I realized I skipped a verse. I, wanted, I need to go back in the story for a second. This is important. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, what, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? Elisha said, please let, me, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. This is an important detail because Elisha is beginning to see in this big lesson that he's learning that he needs the same spirit that Elijah has. One more wish before you go. I want access to the same power you got. Can I get a double portion of that? Exactly. Let me into that. And Elijah says this interesting thing. He says, this is going to be difficult for me. It's a difficult thing you've asked for. But then he says, if you're with me when I go, you will get access. But if you're not, you won't. Why does he say that? Well, Elijah knows how he's going to go. And he knows that if it's just between him and Elisha to transfer this power, he won't be able to because that's just human capacity. But if Elisha's there when those horses and chariots of fire come, when those angels come, when uh, heaven's portal opens up, then he will get access to that power because that's where the power comes from. It comes from God. So all of that happens, Elisha experiences all of it after they've crossed the Jordan River and Elijah is taken up into heaven and all of a sudden he's there all by himself. I wonder what that was like. And in verse 13, he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. It's just him and this cloak lying on the ground now. Well, I guess I should probably pick that up. So Elisha picks it up and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Ah, here's an opportunity to see if Elisha has learned the lesson. He's standing there with this cloak. His mentor, his leader is gone. Will he be able to lead now in that same capacity? Verse 14, he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I love this question because if Elisha was still connected to the personality of Elijah, he would have asked a different question right there. After experiencing all of that, he would have said, where did Elijah go? But he says, where is Elijah's God? You see, because he knows that he won't be able to cross the Jordan River before him unless he has access to that same supernatural power. I now know that I need the same power that Elijah had access to. Where is Elijah's God? And he, when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. He is now tapped into the same power. He's received the double portion. Now, it's possible to hear this whole story and think, what in the world? How could this relate to me in my life? It seems a little fantastical, doesn't it? So long ago and far away and, and, and supernatural in sight. Well, here's the amazing thing I want us to really take home today. If the Bible is true, then the very same power that was available to Elijah and was available then to Elisha is also available to us. And it's nearer than we know. It's nearer than we know. It doesn't take a fantastical dream or vision or experience. It's nearer than we know. The Spirit of God is in this place. I felt it a few minutes ago. I could feel it almost bodily when young Catherine was leading us in worship. What kind of middle school or leads a whole congregation in worship? It was awesome. It's about three quarters of the way through that song, and all of a sudden I just felt the Holy Spirit take over. And we were united, and I felt goosebumps. I was so moved. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's available, it's accessible to us all, even now. Elisha learned it standing there on the edge of the Jordan River. I had the privilege of standing on that same river just a couple of months ago with our trip to Israel. Several of you were there. And I remember getting off the tour bus, this one little spot by the Jordan River. We all walked down to the bank of the river. And there's about 45 of us standing there. And there was a number of um, sites we had already been to, of course. And there was usually a point at those sites where Dr. Widdin our leader got so moved and so emotionally attached to what he was saying that he would start crying and that would lead some of us to cry. But here at the Jordan River, we were standing around the edge of the banks of the river and Dr. Woodman hadn't even started teaching yet. And I felt myself with tears about up to here. I just felt like I might cry just standing there. And I looked around at some of the other people in the trip, including my parents. My parents were there and I looked at my mom and she was crying. You know, when you see your mom cry, you... <laughs> You just moved as well. There she was. And I looked around, and I I think almost everyone was crying, just standing by the edge of the Jordan River. And it took me a couple days to kind of think about that. Like, what was that? What was that? Is there something magic in the waters? I'm not sure that's what it is. Uh, The only explanation I could think of was how many other tour buses of Christ followers had stopped at that spot over the centuries and gotten out and stood there and worshiped God in that place, you see, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where we are gathered in Jesus' name, there he is right in the midst. God the Father is enthroned on the praises of his people. I'm just quoting scripture to you. Where the people of God are, there is the power and the presence of God because he lives in us. That's what I mean when I say it's nearer than you know. This access to the power of God, it's right here in our midst. There were similar tears that I just described at the Jordan River. There were similar tears last Sunday when we baptized 14 souls. Not in the Jordan, but in a beautiful swimming pool. And There was one young woman who was baptized, and I want to share a little part of her story because I think it will bring this whole lesson that Elisha learned home to all of us. Her name was Joy. I brought a picture of her, 16-year-old who got baptized last Sunday. She gave me permission to share this story and to show this picture. And I want to tell you what her experience was because I do think it will bring this home to us if it hasn't been brought home already. We gathered before the baptism with all 14 people who were going to be baptized, and we opened the scriptures together and we were um, just kind of talking about what was about to happen in baptism. And we read from Romans chapter six, where it talks about how when Jesus Christ died, when they hung his body on the cross and he died, he he absorbed all of our sins onto his body. And they took his body and they placed it in the tomb. And he didn't stay there. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he burst forth from that tomb. And he walked in what Romans 6 calls newness of life. And what Romans says is that when we are baptized, we participate with that work. When our body goes under the water and comes back out, it's a symbolic representation saying, Lord, yes, what happened to you on the cross happened to me because it was my sins who held you there. It was my old self that that you died under, all of us. And then when they put you in the grave, Lord, a part of me went in there too. But then you left the consequences of my sin in the tomb, in the pit of hell where they belong. And when you walked out of the tomb in that resurrection life, Lord, I want that too. I want that new life in you. You see, what we're talking about is that our baptism actually hearkens to a greater power, a finished work of Jesus Christ. He finished the work in his death and in his resurrection. When we get baptized, we're simply saying, Lord, that work that you finished, that power that you did, that you accomplished, I need that. And young Joy, 16-year-old Joy, she understood it. She had this baptism, and she came up to me afterwards with tears in her eyes to describe the freedom and the relief that she felt. I connected with her this week, and I wanted her to write it down, what she said. So these are her own words. Listen to this. She says, Baptism isn't all about me or a new me, but rather about following Jesus through death and life and saying yes to him. I learned that baptism is really selfless. And this took away the pressure of thinking I had to be perfect after baptism. Isn't that cool? She knows the same thing that Elisha learned that day. That it's not about her, it's not even about another personality, but it's about the finished work of Jesus. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit in her life. That's the gift she was given last Sunday. Isn't that cool? I want that same power in my life. I want the freedom that she's describing. To know it doesn't all depend on me. I don't need to be connected to personalities which may bless me or disappoint me. They're unpredictable. But rather, it's the power and the presence of God. So come, Holy Spirit. Open up the portals of heaven like you did for Elisha. Enter into our lives. Lead us. Guide us. We trust you. Amen.
1: To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit Stanwichchurch.org.